The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and visual teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Good morning. Good morning, Mountain Park. How many of you saw the basketball game last night? Anybody see the Arizona basketball game last night? That, did, that was a pretty awesome game. Uh, I'm actually a Husky fan from Seattle, but my team's really bad, so I'm rooting for the Wildcats. <laughs> uh, my name is Jan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I want to welcome you. We're, we're really glad you're here. And uh, whenever I am, uh, whenever I speak in front of people, whenever I'm asked to teach or preach, I always, it's always important for me that I speak from personal experience. It's always important that what I speak is, is personal to me, that it, it reflects what God is doing in my heart so that, that what I say is not just a lecture, so that you, you relate to it. And so when Alan came to me a, a couple weeks ago and, and asked me to speak on the topic of new life, I came to the only reasonable conclusion that anyone could. I need to get a new life, <laughs> right? I mean, how can I speak on new life if I haven't gotten a new life? So I went to my friend Chris, who works here, and I said, hey, Chris, I need a new life. And Chris said, yes, yes, you do. <laughs> it's about time you realize. I said, great. I said, can you help me get a new life? And said, Chris, Chris said, yes, because I'm such a good friend, Jan, I'm going to help you get a new life. So we went out and I got a brand new life. And it's awesome. And I want to share it with you today. Can I share my new life with you? Awesome. All right. I got a brand new life. Are you ready? Here it is. Ah, free money. This is my new life right here. Now, some of you maybe have seen this before. It's a lot different than my old life. This, we got a picture of my old, there's my old life right there. Maybe some of you, some of you uh, had that old life. You know, it's got the green trees and there's words on all the spaces and it's, it's pretty awesome, but I like my new life even better. As much as I like the old life, I like the new one. There's, there's some things in it that I like. One of the things I love is the directions. They're super clear. And right there, right away, it tells me what my purpose in life is. Right there at the bottom, the last sentence in the, blue, in the, the yellow box. The wealthiest person wins. Perfect. I now know all I have to do to win at life is become the wealthiest person. Now, you might be thinking that's really hard, right? You know, how are you going to do that with Bill Gates? But here's the thing. They're not allowed on my board. I only have to play against the people who are on my board, and, and there will be no Bill Gates on my board. On top of that, not only that, but do you know the lowest denomination of bills in this game is a $10,000 bill? How hard can it be to become wealthy when the lowest denomination is a $10,000 bill, right? Pretty simple. Plus, I get a free car. Look, right? The blue and, and, and the job market in this life is awesome. Check out this job market. I mean, Go ahead and go to the next slide. So I can become a chef or a police. I can be a dancer and make $50,000 a year, right? I can be a race car driver, an athlete. And if I want to upgrade, check out the other jobs I can do. Okay, go to the next one. Uh, I, can, I can be a scientist. I can be a doctor and make $130,000 or a video game designer and make $110,000 a year. I could be a secret agent at $100,000. Now, maybe at this point you're thinking, Jan, this isn't very realistic, Oh no, this is very realistic. Do you know how I know that this is really realistic? Look how much teachers get paid. $100,000. Yeah, 
See, so, so this is awesome. This is totally, totally realistic, right? And then I get married, right? And watch what happens when I get married. Go to the next slide. So for stop, get married, stop, right? It's your wedding day. Spin for cash from everyone. Red, collect $50,000. Black, collect $100,000. I get money for getting married. People pay me to get married, right? I mean, this is really, this is a great, then I get, then I get, I get a little cute little wife in my car with me, right? So we have a picture of me and my wife. Look, there we are together, right? And then we get to have babies, only I already have five kids, so I don't need any more. They don't all fit in one car, so I got to put them in two cars. We got to kind of improvise there. And on top of that, every space in the board helps me get to my goal. Every space is designed to help me, help make me more wealthy. Now, there are some that cost a little bit, but in the end, it all turns out, okay, let me show you what I mean. Go to the next slide. Here's some things that happen in my life. I can write a children's book and the bank pays me 40 grand. doesn't matter how many it sells. The bank just gives me 40 grand. That's awesome. I can sell flowers from my garden for $70,000. Pretty great. Go to the next slide. Okay. And then look, my pet goat. If I get a pet goat that wins 120 grand right there, that's awesome. Go to the next one. So then, look, I can cook perfect pancakes. I'm a good pancake cooker, by the way. And, and I get $30,000 from the bank, karate classes, all these, you know, run a marathon. And look, tax refund. Look how much that tax refund is for. 50 grand. Anybody ever a tax refund for 50 grand before? <laughs> That's pretty great. Go to the next one. Okay, now look at this. Even when bad things happen, shipwrecked on a desert island, collect from bank, $20,000 or $50,000. Anybody want to volunteer to be shipwrecked on an island? Okay. You take a deem vacation. You spend money, and then the bank pays you $20,000. Okay. Go to the next one. This is super awesome. Okay. You look at the stuff you can spend money on. Buy a designer suit. Pay $30,000. But look at the fine print in the yellow. If you picked up this card, keep it to get $100,000 at the end. So even when you spend money, in the end, you're actually making money. And then when you get to the end, this is one of my favorite parts, you get to the very end and you get to retire, right? And one of the things that it says is the first person to retire collects $400,000. The second person to retire collects $300,000. So guess what? The sooner I retire, the more money I make, right? The less I work, the richer I become. This is really awesome. Now, I'd kind of like to trade in for that life. <laughs> That life's pretty awesome, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of making fun in a lot of ways, but I think this is actually a pretty, good, uh, a, a pretty good reflection of how a lot of us approach our lives, that there's a goal in our life. We have a clear goal, and everything, all our spaces, our choices on our boards go to help us reach that goal, and then, then we have directions these, that we follow in life, the ways we treat other people, what's right and wrong, Okay. And so we all have these, we have goals. Some, sometimes our goals are, are really intentional. We may decide, hey, I really want to be the wealthiest person. Or I want to be, I, I want to have a healthy family. Or I want to be physically fit. Or I, just, I want to be happy. Sometimes our goals are, are more subconscious, right? Sometimes we, 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 we're a people pleaser, so we want people to like us. Or, or, or sometimes our subconsciously our real goal is just to avoid pain in life in any way we can. Or, 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 or a big one is for a lot of us, we want meaning in our life, right? We just, and so we all have these goals and, and the choices we make help us achieve that goal. And sometimes, sometimes you meet someone who has a different board than you do. 
and different directions and different objectives. And then you get conflict, right? Okay, so you have to, then you have to manage that. So let me ask you, have you ever thought about what's on your board? Have you ever thought and considered what are your objectives? What are the things that either consciously or unconsciously are driving you, are driving your choices? And, and where did you get your directions from? How, how did you get them? What, what made you decide to trust those directions? And, and how is your board working for you? Are you doing well on your board? Is your board kind of a mess? What does it look like? One of the most radical foundational promises of Jesus and of Christianity is that you can have a new life. That no matter where you are, no matter what you've done at any point in your life, you can have a brand new life. And not just new life circumstances, but you can actually become a new person. That the the very building blocks that make up who you are can be transformed and changed by the love and truth of Jesus. That is a promise that I responded to at 22 or up to that point, I had decided that God was something man created to explain the unexplainable. And the only people who would ever believe in Jesus were emotionally and intellectually stunted people who needed something to conform to. But I, I was changed radically by that promise of new life. And throughout history, people whose boards have been messed up, people whose boards have had all kinds of problems or riddled with failure and difficulty have come to Jesus and said, this isn't working can I get a do-over? And Jesus says yes and gives them life. So you have this guy, John Newton, who was a slave trader in the 1700s, and and, and he gets new life in Christ, and and then he turns around and he becomes an abolitionist, and he writes a little song you might have heard of called Amazing Grace. And then there's this guy, Chuck Colson, in the 70s, who was special counsel to Richard Nixon in the Watergate scandal, went to prison for his part in the Watergate scandal. And he gets new life from Jesus and and ends up starting what is now the largest prison outreach ministry in the entire country. And there are these stories today, even now, people in our church, people you are sitting next to. Trust me, I know some of them. I've only been here a few months and I already know there are stories of people who have come to Jesus and said, I need a new life and Jesus gave it to them. And if you'd like to hear those stories, hey, come check out Men's Hope or, or Women's Hope or some of our groups, and you will hear some phenomenal, amazing stories. But what about the person whose board looks really good? What about the person whose who's, who's board, everything's going well, right? Because the truth is, most of us are not slave traders. Anyone here a slave trader? Most of us are not criminals, and, and while some of us have been dramatically confronted with our own brokenness, a lot of us really think we're doing really well. We've got a job, right? Things seem to be going pretty well. We've got a job, and, and, and we're, we're basically a good guy. There's no major sins in our life. We've got strong morals. We go to church, right? And, and, and maybe we even say, and I like God, and I like Jesus, and I think Jesus is pretty cool. I don't have any bone to pick with Jesus. I, I can even incorporate some of his teachings sometime. What about person who has that board? What would Jesus say to them, to you, if that's you? Well, we're going to look at that today. It turns out Jesus actually met people like that and he encountered them. So I want to look at one of those stories and see what we can learn. But first, I want to pray. I want to ask, oh, before I pray, you can open your Bibles to John chapter 3. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can download one on your phone. Uh, there's a great app called the Bible app right there by Life Church TV. I encourage you to get that. Now I'm going to pray. 
Lord Jesus, I come to you now and I thank you for the opportunity to be with these people in this space at this time. And I recognize, God, that you have a purpose. You have something you want to communicate to each one of us wherever we are. So open up our hearts to you, Lord. And we ask that your your purposes are fully accomplished so we might hear your voice and know what you're speaking to us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So if you start there in, in verse 1, we meet a guy whose life is going really well. Okay? It says in verse 1, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, this sentence tells us right off that Nicodemus's life is going really, really well. Okay? These are the things that are on Nicodemus's game board. And when it tells us that Nicodemus was financially secure... Okay, as, a, as a Pharisee and as a member of the Jewish ruling council, he was most likely a middle-class guy who's comfortable but not greedy. His reputation, his popularity are secure. Okay? He, again, you didn't get to the position that he was in without being respected, without having the support of your peers. People knew his name. They came to him for spiritual counsel. They sought his advice. He was theologically secure. He knew what he, need, what he believed about God, and he was very comfortable with it. And he was morally secure. He, was, he had a strong sense of morality. As a member of the Pharisees, Nicodemus would have strictly adhered to a moral code, a certain written code. Well, it started with a written uh, code in, in the first five books of the Bible, which, is called, which the Jews called the Torah. And in the Torah, Jewish tradition said there were 613 individual laws that you had to obey. I don't know about you, but I have a problem with the Ten Commandments, Okay. Well, Nicodemus and his Pharisee friends, they would have memorized all 613 of those laws and strictly followed them. But that wasn't really enough for them. Because there were things in the Old Testament, in the Torah, that they thought was kind of, un- kind of unclear. And so they needed more clarification. So they developed, over time, the oral Torah, these traditions of interpreting the law. And so, for example, they thought, man, the Torah says that you should not work on the Sabbath but what really does the word work mean? So they, they created 39 categories to define what work means. And then each one of those categories had further subcategories underneath them going so far as to how many individual steps you are allowed to take on the Sabbath and how many individual letters, A, B, C, you are able to write on the Sabbath. So in order to to follow one simple law in the Torah, do not work on the Sabbath, you actually, and Nicodemus would actually have followed hundreds, maybe even thousands of oral laws. And for Nicodemus, those oral laws were every bit as binding, every bit as authoritative as the written word of God in the books of Moses. These laws govern not only how you treated each other, but what you did in your own life, what you ate, what you could wear, when you should bathe, how often you should bathe, who you can spend time with, what things and people you can touch and not touch. This compliance to the written Torah and the oral Torah was a centerpiece of Nicodemus's life. It helped him make sense of the world. It gave him a sense of purpose. It was how he measured his own success and the success of others. So if you looked at Nicodemus's board, you would see a little card or a little space that said, accidentally touched a person who was touching a person who was touching a non-Jew. Lose 15 holy points. Right? Or another card that says, successfully stayed within the limit of steps for the Sabbath. Add 10 holy points. Right? That's how he measured his success in his life. 
And he was doing really well. And it was because of, of, his, of his moral devoutness and his commitment that he was able to be successful in his life. He couldn't separate the two. He was able to become a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin because of those commitments. Now, everything's going great for Nicodemus, doing really well, his board's awesome, until all of a sudden this new teacher from Nazareth appears on the scene. And this teacher named Jesus is, is doing these kind of crazy miracles. There's people who, who can't see, and Jesus touches them, and all of a sudden they can see, and people who've never been able to walk, and, and he heals them, and they can walk. And, and he's doing all this crazy stuff, and, and on top of that, he's teaching, and he's, he's teaching many things that Nicodemus agrees with. Like he's teaching about the resurrection of the dead, and Nicodemus is like, yeah, I'm on board with that. And, and he's doing the kind of things that normally, normally Nicodemus' response would be, this man must be a prophet, maybe even a major prophet. Maybe even this guy is a once-in-a-generation leader like Moses or Elijah. Except Jesus kind of did some things that kind of ticked him off. Mainly Jesus completely disregarded all the oral Torah, all the traditions of the elders that, that, that they taught. Jesus actually said those things could keep you from following God. And he accused the Pharisees of being a hypocrite. And so the Pharisees are all hacked off and angry about this, but the people are kind of excited about the things that Jesus is doing. And there's this, this conflict that's brewing. And so Nicodemus, like a lot of people, has to say, okay, who the heck is Jesus? And where does he fit in on my board? Because I don't, this, 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 there's not a place for him on my board. And he has to make this decision. And there's two choices he can make. One is that he says, you know what? There is no place for Jesus on my board. That's it. Jesus is a heretic. He's gone. And there were a lot of people who did this. There's at least two places in the Bible where there are Pharisees who actually see Jesus do a miracle. And their response is, he's doing that because he's possessed by the devil. And so they just wrote him off, said he's not allowed on my board. The other thing he can do is say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to make a place for you on my board. I, I, I'm going I'm to have a little flexibility. I'm going to make a place for you. Those are, I think, what he sees as his two choices. So Nicodemus wrestles with this, and he comes to a decision, and he comes to Jesus to talk about his decision. And I want to see what he says. John 3, verse 2. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, which means teacher, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, some people say Jesus, I mean, Nicodemus was coming to him at night to, be, to have a secret meeting or something. But it's just as likely that Nicodemus just wanted a private conversation with Jesus because it was hard to get Jesus alone. So here we have Nicodemus' conclusion. This is his conclusion. Jesus, and it's funny, he comes to this conclusion without actually talking to Jesus. He comes to Jesus and says, here's my conclusion about who you are. He says, Jesus... I've decided you are not the devil and you are not a heretic. You're actually a wise, insightful guy from God and God could actually use you. So I want to make a place for you on my board. I'm going to put a place for you on my board. It says, teacher from God. I'm going to put you in that space and I'm going to actually listen to you and consider some of the things that you say and I'm going to let you maybe help, help me with some things in my life and, and maybe, maybe this is something you've done, maybe something we've done that we, we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want to hear from you. I think you're pretty smart. I think you've got some good things to say. I want you to come and help me, help me with my life. Help me on my board. Okay? Now, 
Well, I want to see how does Jesus respond to that. Very truly. Now, before, before I talk about Jesus' response, I want to make a, a quick point. Um, part of the reason why Jesus is going to say what he says is because of who he's talking to. Okay? If Jesus were to have talked to me when I was still an atheist, he would have used different words than what he's using now. He's speaking very specifically to Nicodemus. He's speaking to a man who believes that God exists and who has made a place for God on his board. And we have to remember that, that if, if he were to speak to somebody else, Jesus might use different words. So here's what he says. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you. Now, very truly I tell you sounds like something very nice and calm. Like I imagine... Very truly, I tell you. Like a kindergarten teacher, right? That's how I imagine it. But in actuality, that's not what Jesus is saying. See, those, those two words, very truly, is actually a Greek word that's repeated twice. And it's a Greek word that I'm guessing all of you know. It's a word, the word amen. How many of you have heard the word amen before? Right. And so amen means the truth, or it means it's a, it's a way of expressing that something, agreeing that something is to an expression of certainty. And so we normally say this after somebody says something we really, really agree with, right? So if I were to say something absolutely amazing and wonderful that you agreed with, you would say? Amen. And if Alan was up here and he said something even more amazing and even more phenomenal that you agreed with, you would say? Amen. But I think you would say it louder for him than you did for me, but that's Okay. But, but in the Bible, they actually, and in Jesus, he would actually put amen at the beginning of a sentence. And that's what he does here. He says, amen, amen. And what Jesus is doing is he's saying, listen. He's, it's like he's grabbing Nicodemus by the shoulders and he's saying, Nicodemus, you've got to hear what I'm about to say. Please, please pay attention. It's not a, sort of a logical articulation. It's a, it's, it's a wake-up call. And he says, no one, very truly I tell you, amen, amen, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And this is a little confusing to Nicodemus, I think for obvious reasons. And he says, how can someone be born when they're old? Surely they cannot enter a second time to their mother's womb. That'd be kind of gross. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God. Again, that's amen, amen. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. He uses that phrase twice, amen, amen, in conjunction with those two words, born again and the kingdom of God. It's hard to overstate how much emphasis Jesus is putting on those two things. You have to be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And basically what Jesus, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, Nicodemus, I don't need to be added to your board. You need to come onto my board. You need to come into my kingdom. You can't add me to your life, Nicodemus. You need to receive life from me. This is why he uses the term born again. Now, if you've been around church, you've, how many of you have heard the term born again before? Right? Like almost all of you. Right? So this is not, a, we're all familiar with this term, and there's a lot of different interpretations of, about what it means and exactly how it works, but I think we can get the general gist by asking a very simple question. When you are very, very first born, what are you? You're a baby, right? And not only a baby, you're like a brand newborn, right? You're a newborn baby. So how does a newborn baby define success? 
How does a newborn baby, does a newborn baby know what is right and wrong? How does a new baby, newborn baby determine how confident they are in themselves? How does a newborn baby know how to handle conflict? They don't, right? They're brand new. They're a blank slate. Nicodemus is saying, hey, if, I'm sorry, Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, if you want the kingdom of God, you have got to start over. You have to, you have to throw out your game. You have to let go of your objectives, your rules, your directions, your board. You have to put it all away and receive my life for you. In order to enter the kingdom of God, you have to let go of your kingdom. Now, that can seem kind of scary. Why would anyone do that? I mean, remember, Nicodemus had a great life. His life is going really, really well, okay? And, and, and just what in the world would cause him to leave that? But here's the thing. Just because something's working doesn't mean it's what's best for us, right? Have you ever experienced that, that you're in a job where you're like, well... It's all right. It's kind of working. It's not killing me. I can stay here. Or a relationship. Oh, yeah, you know, it's it's not terrible. But just because it's working doesn't mean it's what's best for us. Now, the new life that Jesus is offering Nicodemus is something that no one, if they truly understood it, would ever want to turn down. It's what's called the kingdom of God. And you probably heard that phrase, and there's not enough books to write about what the kingdom of God really is, but I want to I give you a glimpse of why it's such a big deal and why Jesus comes back to the kingdom of God over and over again. The word for kingdom in there is the word basileia, and it means a realm of rule or the exercise of domain. And we tend to think of this as a place where one person is in charge and makes everybody else do what they want, like, like your house, right? Right? Where you're in charge and everybody else does whatever you want them to. Your home is like that, right? Mine with five kids is absolutely like that, right? But that's not how Jesus thought of it, just as a place where someone is in charge. Because Jesus would have agreed that God is in charge right now, that God is in charge over the earth. Jesus would say, Yeah, God's in charge over the earth, but he would never, ever, ever refer to the earth at that time as the kingdom of God. Why? Well, well, because even though God is in charge of the earth, there are a lot of people who don't act like God is in charge. Maybe that happens in my house sometimes. That just because someone is in charge doesn't mean the people act like that person in charge. And because they don't act like that person is in charge, the, the house, the kingdom, it doesn't function as if that person is in charge. Right? We, 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 just because our kids, we may be in charge of our house, but that doesn't mean our kids do all the things that we want them to do. Trust me, I put my daughter to bed about 12 times every night. For Jesus, the kingdom of God is a situation where God is king and God is treated as king. And sometimes we hear the word king and we, think of, uh, and we think of the people in our lives who've abused authority. We think of words like king and master. How many of you want a master? No hands. I'm shocked. Very few of us going, go through life going, if only somebody would tell me what to do all the time, that would be great. Okay? We don't, we don't think of a king or as a master or as a, as a good thing because we don't have the right image of who that king or that master is. When Jesus says kingdom of God, he's not referring to some sort of general, nonspecific God. 
He's not referring to some sort of just entity that's up there. We know that because later Jesus says in John 10, I and the Father, referring to God, are one. I and the Father are one. And he says in John 14, 9, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. So the kingdom of God is also the kingdom of Jesus. Because Jesus is saying, I'm God. He's talking, I'm talking about my own kingdom here, Nicodemus. The kingdom of God is where Jesus is king. Which is why it says later that if you reject Jesus, you actually can't enter the kingdom of God because you're rejecting Jesus. So what kind of king is Jesus? Well, I would encourage you to read the Bible to find that out. But there is a scripture in John 3.16, just a little bit later in this chapter we're in, where it tells us something very important. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, have eternal life. Jesus is the kind of king who's come down to earth and walked in your shoes. He's the kind of king who knows the pain you're going through, who knows your grief, who knows your joys, who knows your sorrows, who knows what the dirt feels like between his toes. He's a king who walks beside us as a friend and loves us when we need it. He's a king who, who, who died for us. But not only did he die, because he has the power over the dead, he came back to life and he is still alive today. He's a king who doesn't ask you to do anything without offering you the help and the strength and the power that you need to accomplishment. He's a king who isn't willing for any single person in this room or on this earth to go through life thinking that they don't matter matter, and that they are unloved. He is a God who would run through a big wall and into a burning building over and over and over and over and over and over again to rescue every single person as he could. And his kingdom is a place where our, we trust in him. We surrender to him so fully that his purposes, his love, his power, his joy, his freedom are perfectly expressed in our lives. It's what we were created for. And, and we surrender to his kingdom. And when we do, this is what his kingdom is like. His kingdom is a place where you, you know how much he loves you. And because you're so aware of his love, you are able to share that love with the people around you. It's a place where, where you speak words, we speak words to each other that build one another up and encourage one another. It's a place where, where married couples love each other sacrificially. It's a place where we generously share with those in need. It's a place where we act as a servant. It's a place where our yes is yes and our no is no, so there's no need for lying. There is no lying or deception. His kingdom is a place where we never eat, drink, take, or keep more than we need. His will for us is to be free from things like bitterness, rage, and being in his kingdom is where all that happens. Imagine, what would the world, like, world look like if that, if that was reality? What would the world really look like where everybody is perfectly expressing the kingdom of God? A world where we are all at peace because we're all playing on the same board with the same directions, with the same objectives. What? What would our church look like? What would this church look like if everybody in this church was operating in that space where they were fully surrendered to the kingdom of God? This is why Jesus told us to pray and say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. 
I'm going to ask the band to come back up. If you are not experiencing at least some of that, have you considered the possibility that maybe what you've done is added Jesus to your board instead of stepping into the new life that he has to offer you and playing on his board with his objectives, with his rules? I want to tell you, um, if you're trying to add Jesus to your life to incorporate him onto your board, uh, he may just tell you no. When I was an atheist, you guys, one of the things that confused me the most was people who did this. I didn't understand how someone could just add you. It was so weird to me that people, they had the same board as I did. They're playing by the same rules as I did. They just had a little space for Jesus in their life. Why would I ever want that? When we're, why would I want that? So if you are trying to incorporate Jesus in this way, Jesus might be saying to you, no. That doesn't mean you can't learn something from him. It doesn't mean he's not gonna help you. Jesus did amazing, miraculous things in my life before I became a follower of Jesus. He literally saved my life. But to the extent that Jesus is in your life, he is there for his purposes, not yours. He's interested not in being used by you. He's not interested in being used by you to accomplish your personal agenda. Whatever he does is for the purpose of pulling you into eternal life because he loves you. That's what you were made for. At its heart, Christianity isn't about rules. It's about surrendering to the boundless love of Jesus and letting him define who you are, what's important, and how you live your life. So you might be wondering, how do I know? How do I know if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm on my board with Jesus or on Jesus's board? If you only think about Jesus on Sunday, Jesus may be on your board. If your life is not tangibly different, you aren't making decisions because Jesus loves you and out of that love, Jesus might be on your board. If you think you can be successful in this life without him, Jesus may be on your board. If you get to decide what part of Jesus you like and don't like, Jesus may be on your board. But if you think about Jesus and he's on your mind throughout the week and you make decisions in your job and your workplace because of him, then maybe you're on Jesus' board. If you experience joy in your life and love, even in difficult circumstances, then maybe you're on Jesus' board. If you lean into Jesus and say, Jesus, define success for me and help me achieve it, then maybe you're on Jesus' board. If you are embracing Jesus for all he is, even if you don't understand it, maybe you're on Jesus' board. If you wrestle with difficult scriptures, you're on Jesus' board. So how do you win the game of life? You throw out your board and you go to this God who loves you more than you could ever imagine and you say, I'm going to rely on you. I want your new life. Would you please birth it in me? And you allow him to plant his kingdom so deep in you that it begins to chain you from the inside out. Would you please pray with me? God, I thank you for your kingdom. God, I thank you. I thank you, God, for so radically changing my life. I thank you that I am not the person that I was. And, and I thank you that today, right now, with every single person here, you have the power and the love and the grace to work in our hearts, to bring us into your kingdom where we can surrender fully to your purposes, to your peace, to your joy. Lord, would you 
engage with us and speak to us as we surrender to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.